You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud today. Manning, corner, has a man open, touchdown! Welcome to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I am your host, the Football Grump, and with me, as always, in the blue trunks, Mike, the Cranky Fan. <laughs> Grump, I feel like we're going to the Super Bowl. Oh. I saw an opening press conference from a coach, and because coaches always sound great in a press conference, I'm convinced we are going 16-0 and next year and winning the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's how it works, right? And then, then the draft comes, and then we're going 17-0. and Of course, yeah. right. So don't even bother playing next year. We'll just... See you in whatever, hopefully, sunny, warm location Super Bowl 53 is at. Yeah. We got a lot to rattle off today, so we're going to jump right into it. So, as always, follow us on Twitter. I'm at football underscore grump. He's at the cranky fan for all the in-between shit. Um, <laughs> it's kind of hilarious. It's it's pretty funny to listen back on last episode as we talked about how we didn't really know what we were going to talk about on this episode because we weren't sure what news was going to break. And now we have a fuck ton of shit to talk about. So, yes. we, we have so much stuff. So there was a press How conference. We squeeze it all in in thirty minutes. Yeah. It, it, well, we're gonna try. Let's start with the. Uh, I guess the the biggest news we'll save for a little bit, but we'll go on to the uh, the most overhyped news is the press conference on Friday that Pat Shermer and Dave Gettleman held. Yeah, real exciting news. I mean, I actually didn't catch it live. I watched the replay on um, MSG Network at seven o'clock that night, and I find myself maybe. 12 minutes in just kind of drifting off and you know checking twitter for just funny jokes or something so i mean again everybody gets so excited after a press conference they think that's the end all be all you know unless you wear a really bad suit it's pretty much impossible not to win a press conference these guys are coached to say the right things in these things and you know Schumer pretty much did nothing really out there that was uh cringeworthy nothing out there that made you run through a brick wall but you know so be it. Yeah, I guess it's not so much winning the press conference as it's not losing it, I guess, yeah. right? I mean, like, not that many people have lost. I wouldn't even say Ben McAdoo lost the press conference because he looked goofy, but... He looked goofy, and it was kind of like one of those, you know, it took a little away from the message that was obviously when these press conferences are trying to do. But let's not get crazy with press conferences. I mean, if I had Bill Belichick right now, and I introduced him as the new Giants head coach... You'd be like, if you didn't know who he was, you'd be like, who the hell is this grump? Yeah. No pun intended. Yeah. But so that don't don't take a lot of way a lot of the hear from the coach speak on these things because they are trying to play to the fans. You know, usually these messages are tailored to something that pissed off the fan base and the media a lot. And they're trying to overemphasize something that you know maybe a perceived problem with the team. You heard the phrase. Um, adults in the room and these guys are adults I mean, obviously the perception of this team right now is it it ran off the rails with people doing whatever they wanted whether it's you know beckham temper tantrums on the sideline or boat trips or you know eli apple or whatever it is so again it's nice to see he sound like a guy who kind of knows what he's doing but again i wouldn't take anything he said on face value as gospel right now no, and I, I think that's exactly what it is. I, I'll take that comparison to Bill Belichick any day, by the way. Um, so oh, if you sure. want to throw that one back at me you know, in the future on when I'm feeling a little down, just give me a confidence boost. <laughs> you got it, man. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's just kind of 
an introductory thing. This is our philosophy. So it's not going to be anything very specific, but just very general things. And uh, the emphasis on them being adults as coaches, um, I, I think, is a direct shot to the complete disarray that the secondary was in last year. Um, not so much Odell Beckham last year. Maybe I guess he had the one touchdown celebration. But in general, the last couple of years has been this uh, – well, the culture that's being developed, I mean, yeah. over the last couple of years and stuff, there's a not only the attitude of Beckham and his, you know, histrionics on the sideline, but the lack of perceived discipline around it. Yeah. Like they're enabling him to do whatever he wants and they're afraid of him. That's the perception you're getting. So it'll be interesting to see how this is handled prior to a contract being signed. Yeah, this is another thing that was brought up, and I, I saw a lot of people making a big deal out of it on Twitter, but again, should not be a big deal. Uh, Dave Gettleman was talking about how he didn't want the team to be in quarterback hell, and he described it as this team that just sort of always was around finishing second in the division, finishing third in the division, was too far out to get the top guy. It was too much to trade up from that spot. Um you know, a lot of people were like, well, I guess that means that he's going to draft one. It means he's not going to draft one. It, it doesn't matter. The point – he, the, the scouting is Ninja. They don't know what they're doing. There's no plan First of all, you'd be, an, you'd be an idiot to say what you're going to do. I mean, in the best situation, coaches, general managers, scouts, they're not tipping their hand on January 26th. Oh, this is who we're drafting. That's That's lunacy. Yeah. So, you know, you leave, you know, the potential for all options, whether it's quarterback, offensive lineman, defensive line, trade down, trade up, who, who knows? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, even even at this time, several years ago, everyone knew the Colts were going to wind up with Andrew Luck, but there was still this thing like, oh, we don't know. It could be RG3, you know, it... <laughs> Right. <laughs> They're not going to say what happened here. Everything that was said about that, he's just talking about the philosophy of this team and what he wants to build this team in the offseason. It does not mean that there's any sort of draft planned yet. There's no big board. There couldn't possibly be. There's no combine. The senior bowl only just happened. Um, and we have a long ways to talk about that, which I am looking forward to. I love this stuff. Yes. I think the most important thing that was a takeaway from the press conference is that Pat Shermer um, – confirmed that while he will obtain an offensive coordinator, he will be calling his own plays. What do we think about that? Uh, I don't feel very great about it, but at the same time, being that, that there's no offensive coordinator in mind, I guess maybe it's not so bad. It's not like there's a... This is a complete staff rebuild. So if he has a plan and he doesn't have an offensive coordinator as of this date, then... Maybe it's for the best that he just get his system involved in year one and I, groom that offensive coordinator or something. But I'm generally against this idea. I, you know, I think it's a completely different situation with Ben McAdoo, who is, you know, still getting his feet wet for being an offensive coordinator. Oh, sure. All of a sudden because the head coach and is completely in over his head where this is a guy who has been a head coach before. He has been offensive coordinator for a while. Um, has his offense. I mean, I don't think Ben McAdoo ever had his offense. Oh, certainly not. So, so he has his offense, and also I think having an Eli Manning, you know, a 
a quarterback has been around forever and you know is almost like having a, a field general on the field at the same time helps it as well. Um, I my guess is this will be something that either does for one year and it hands over to his offensive coordinator or it's one of those things in the pecking order for insurance for a head coach. You know, what are the steps before you're fired? A, oh. take away play calling. B, make some changes to your staff. C, you get fired. So, you know, maybe subconsciously it's one of those kind of building one of those barriers around you. But I think it's more just the first year he knows exactly what he wants to do, you know, implement his plan, execute his plan. And then I, I, I would not be surprised in 2019 if he on his own call decides he might decide, you know, either the job is too much to be doing that or he feels more competent in his his offensive coordinator. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Um, and again, that's that's what I expect. It's definitely not a Ben McAdoo situation, but still, he only has two years of head coaching experience, one of which I heard one report that there were some sort of follies here and there with bad timeouts, awful challenges, and those are the things that the head coach really needs to pay attention to, um, you know, time management, etc. Again, this is all helped by Eli Manning, um, but if Eli feels like it's best to run a play – it's not going to override the head coach calling a timeout when he shouldn't. So right. generally, I'm against this. It's not nearly as bad as Ben McAdoo. Um, I'm not. I'm not sweating right now. I'm not pissed off, but it's it's an actual news. Um, and speaking yeah. of actual news, here's the really really big news. This is the cool shit. Um, <laughs> the uh, the Giants have signed or come to terms with James Betcher as defensive coordinator, uh, former. Defensive coordinator for the Arizona Cardinals. How do you feel? Well, in a pretty solid defense, Arizona. You know, he's. Uh, I, I'm interested because supposedly he's more of a three-four defensive coordinator than a four-three. So I wonder what that means for the off the defense going forward, or if it's more just multiple looks to look forward to. But I, I think it's a pretty good signing. Yeah, um, you bet your ass. <laughs> let's go. Let's go into that a little bit uh, about the three-four system change. I know that that does freak out a lot of people, but there were multiple articles about this too. Uh, Bruce Arians has explained them. If you want to follow Dan Duggan on Twitter, um, I think he's he's written a couple of them. Um, and what this system change really means. So the switch over from four three to three four. If you're a football fan, you know that means uh, four guys on the line, uh, three linebackers, and then if you want to switch it over to a three four, it's three guys on the line and uh, four linebackers. Now in the past, that had meant that if you had three guys on the line in your three four, they were typically big guys, space eaters, and they covered two gaps. Uh, and then you had your playmakers were the linebackers. And this is if you want to harken back to the Bill Belichick days of the New York Giants, this is what they ran. And the playmakers were mostly, you know. Carl Banks, Lawrence Taylor. That is not really the case anymore. Uh, the NFL is a passing league now, passing first league. And uh, a lot of this is relying more on speed. And so the 3-4 now is more nickel than anything. So it's not as devastating a switch as where you'd have to switch out your personnel with these light guys on the line for your 4-3 defense and switch them out for these big heavy guys for your 3-4 defense. It's not really like that. You're still playing one gap because typically they're putting a linebacker down on the line of scrimmage, so it's still kind of four guys on the line anyway. It's just you're moving them more like more versatile chess pieces. So they're kind of – they could be rushing through the A gaps right up the middle. They could be on the outside. It gives you – 
a lot of freedom and versatility. So it's sort of a hybridy four three three four look. And also the the personnel we have on the on the defensive line, a guy like Snacks, I think, could be versatile in something like that. I mean, he's obviously a space eater and a half. Yeah, he's been playing in a four three right now. I think to make him a switch like a nose may not be as tough of a transition because we have that personnel. Yeah, exactly. And he played in a 3-4 with the Jets anyway, and he played that nose spot, and he did it well there too. So, I mean, he commanded a mess, massive contract. Um, yeah, and it, it, it's it's kind of interesting because uh, Bruce Arians said that in 2015 they had been trying to sign Jason Pierre-Paul to be their outside linebacker. And if you remember this year or uh, last year, this year, um, Arizona acquired Chandler Jones from New England and switched him over from a four-three defensive end to a three-four outside linebacker, and he was—he's been a monster out there. Mm-hmm. So the one thing that I've heard, there's a couple things that I've heard about James Betcher without really watching tons of film on him in the uh, the week that I've had, uh, is two things. Uh, he's incredibly blitz-heavy, so he puts his corners in man-to-man, um, and he likes to put a lot of pressure on the quarterback. Which is good because we didn't get any in the quarterback last year at all. Well, it was an interesting thing. Like when we first made the switch to Spagnuolo as the head coach after the firing, we I forget what game that was. We went all out blitz heavy. We got repeatedly burned. It was sometime in uh, early December. But I remember we we were consciously blitzing more and we were leaving the corners exposed, and it was a horrible disaster. So, but I mean, at that point, I believe Janoris Jenkins was already in the bench. He might have been. Yeah. I, I mean, the, last year was such a disaster. It's not even funny. But, I mean, in terms of Spagnuolo's tenure here, we haven't really put a lot of pressure on the quarterback, which is weird. I, I would have thought that that would have been the one thing that we were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, But regardless, this is more of a hybrid system. It's going to – it's really going to move people around. Uh, And the other thing – I've heard about James Betcher is that he is known to be putting his players in their best position to succeed. So if you look at Arizona's defense with their, the Tyron Matthew and um, you know, just, just the way he moves the secondary around, like there's a lot of these like hybrid safety linebacker corner guys that are just flying around the field, making plays. And that's really kind of what, what uh, we're going to see. And I would expect somebody like Landon Collins to have a pro bowl year and something like this. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the, I don't think that the 4-3 to 3-4 system change is going to be huge, but what it will do is completely turn around the way that I've been at least looking at the offseason process and what needs to be acquired. So while there, this isn't a complete overhaul, this team has no linebackers. I mean, like, almost none. And some of the good ones, like Devon Kennard, are not signed for next year. So this means... A lot of off Don't be surprised if a lot more of the offseason moves are on the defensive side of the ball instead of the offensive side of the ball. Which is interesting, too, because one of the things we were kind of thinking about in the last month or so is we thought they may go defensive more with a head coach because the more of the pieces were in place. Now it looks like this might be the opposite. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely so. so there, there's really no rushers from the second level on this on this team. And that's definitely something that they're going to have to address, whether it's in the draft or free agency. And while this isn't a complete overhaul, I wouldn't expect this team to go from 27th total defense to 5th total defense in one year. What did we do last year? <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. We went from like 5th to 27th, so. Yeah. <laughs> don't, uh... I mean, don't... I, 
I just wouldn't expect it is all. I mean, I would say yeah. the, the, the leap would probably be about 10 places or so between 15th and 17th. And then after having another whole year to really add to these pieces, look for the big jump to be in 2019. Well, and then also you have to factor in, you know, let's see how healthy these guys can be and everything too. So, Of course, yeah. Part of the problem is, you know, how do we fall so fast and, you know, far and fast? Look at the, the health of the team from 2016 to 2017. So, Yeah, and, and, and on that note, um, Pat Shermer has decided to retain the entire strength and conditioning uh, team who were brought in by Ben McAdoo. Um, I'm not in the business of everything Ben McAdoo touched is tainted. I know that a lot of times new regimes are just full clean – clean houses just because that's how it goes but i mean i remember it was such a big deal that he brought that ben mcadoo brought in um these new strength and conditioning guys because there was all new equipment in the uh i whatever gym (laughs) i guess you would call it the the weight room facility yeah um there's all this new equipment there was a lot of emphasis on you know shakes and this like um Technology being used at practice to make sure guys weren't overstressing their, you know, soft tissue things in practice when it was, um, you know, that sweltering summer heat, the humidity here in Jersey. Um, they had like, I don't know what they were, some sort of like heart monitors on their shoes or something like that. You know, it was just such an overhaul from the old school days of Tom Coughlin that maybe, you know, it's not bad to throw all that out. You know, you know what I mean? We'll be okay keeping those guys. Well, the one thing also I'll say about strength and conditioning guys, and I argue this all the time on my companion podcast about the Gators, is that there is no correlation between injuries, I feel, in strength and conditioning. Like, oh my God, all these guys keep getting hurt. You got to fire the strength and conditioning coach. Injuries happen for a variety of reasons. You break a bone, that's got nothing to do with how much you've been working out. You know, it has nothing to do with your nutrition. There's nothing to do with all those type of things. So... I think people see, you know, oh, two years in a row the Giants had bad luck with injuries. Get rid of the strength and conditioning program and start over. That's not the way it works. You know, sometimes injuries are just bad luck. You know, if a guy, you know, falls on your ankle and you and you break an ankle, that's not, nothing to do with what you put in, you know, during the off season. So, I think people have to be very careful when they see, you know, a result that the remedy for that is not what you think it is. Yeah, exactly. And broken bones, like you said, is such a such an important thing. Yeah. I mean, when you when you just take the number of injured guys and you just lay them next to each other, you know, last year and this year, those numbers are sort of lying. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there that, you know, are you really going to put Landon Collins' broken arm, you know, uh, Odell Beckham's broken leg? I mean, these are things that doesn't matter – how much strength and conditioning, what exercises you're doing, it's just a broken bone is a broken bone, and it happens. Right. right. Um, if anything, I would say a lot of injuries are probably due more to – and I mean these like non-contact injuries and injuries that happen in practice are more due to the position coaches and bad form. And a lot of times bad form, you put stress on the wrong areas such as – You're also your playing hands. on that shitty turf too. I mean I know – it's not the same as artificial turf was, you know, 20, 30 years ago. It's not playing on concrete. But, you know, Trump and I were on the field before the Philly game this year. Now it's kind of like testing with my feet, to, like to see how it feels. And, you know, it's it's not grass, you know, and you don't have the give sometimes you would with grass, too. So 
you know, when you're playing on turf as opposed to playing on natural grass, more likely you might get some more injuries that you don't. So the point of all this is, you know, don't look for things, for solutions for things that you don't know the answers to. Yeah. Um, and nutrition and strength and conditioning is an incredibly complicated subject. So yeah. don't just think that you're going to eyeball it in a day and come up with a conclusion because you won't. Right. Um, some something else that's super notable. Uh, Tom Quinn is officially gone as special teams coordinator. I'm surprised he's survived this long. <laughs> the guy's like a cockroach. Yeah, he just hangs around. This team hasn't had a good special teams unit <sighs> since 2007. It, it, it seems like it's one of those things where we've had like three bad years and a decent year, then three bad years, and you know we get nothing out of punt return, nothing out of kickoff return. You know, we have very up and down punters and kickers, uh, punts blocked, field goals blocked. You know, just all, all the things like special teams are one of those things. Like if you don't notice it, it's good. Yeah. A lot of things we noticed in the last couple of years, very, you know, poorly timed missed tackles, you know, missing, you know, shanking punts in the fourth quarter that can put away a victory. And you're right. It's amazing how long Tom Quinn lasted. I'm glad that administration's over. Yeah, um, he's being succeeded by I'm not actually sure how to pronounce his name Tom McGoffey, um, who was the assistant under Tom Quinn some years ago and has since went on to the Jets, LSU, um, and uh, most recently at Carolina, where his contract was not renewed. He was replaced by Chase Blackburn, which is kind of funny. Interesting. Um, and he turned down another special teams job because uh, reportedly. Because he felt confident about his chances of getting a position with Dave Gettleman again in New York. Hey, question for you. Uh, when he was special teams coach at LSU, was Odell Beckham returning kicks and or punts back then? I have not looked into that, but he may have been, which would mean that he's already worked with Brad Wing also. That's true too, yeah. Um, and Brad Wing, for those of you who don't know re- – uh, had a fake punt touchdown against a uh, very yeah fuck very... off <laughs> yeah I'm aware of that um, against thanks the Florida the, uh, Gators yeah thanks for the Sports Center update <laughs> um uh, I guess I guess one of the big things here is that a uh, a lot of the assistant coach positions are vacant or were vacated I I guess I should say and by a lot of them I mean every single one except for the linebackers coach, uh, Bill McGovern, has been retained as the linebackers coach. Um, I believe he's already worked with Pat Shermer in the past, so that probably had a hand in it. Um, but just to run through it really quickly, because I mean, I don't know a ton about these guys. Cranky Van doesn't know a ton about these. Nobody knows a ton about these guys. Um, there's some information. They're they're mostly pretty good. Um, yeah, I mean, look at their pedigree of where they coached before, who they coached under, and look at their success, and that's basically it. That's yeah. all we really can tell you right now. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, the defensive line coach, they've obtained uh, Gary Emanuel from the Colts, where he spent six seasons there. Uh, defensive backs coach Lou Anarumo uh, from Miami, he spent six seasons there. Um, wide receivers coach Tyke Tolbert from Denver, uh, you know, that's – and he was there a long time. I, I want to say more than six seasons. Um, they, they've obtained a sp- assistant special teams coach, uh, Anthony Blevins from Arizona, 
And the tight end coach is actually a holdover from the Giants, but he's switching spots. He was the uh, offensive line assistant coach. Now he's going to be the tight ends coach. It's uh, Lunda Wells. So Okay. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, none of us really know any of this stuff. Um, as far as the offensive coordinator job go, this is a little bit more interesting. Uh, you know, Pat Shermer had laid down some hinting words that uh, there are some people he can't talk to yet. Mm-hmm. be interested in which Read between the lines for that yeah which would insinuate you know uh a current patriot or eagle staff member do staley comes to mind yeah do staley and um john de filippo i guess is like the hot name de filippo de filippo is the uh quarterbacks coach for the philadelphia eagles so he's had a lot of work in you know Getting Carson Wentz up from where did he go to school? North Dakota up to the North NFL. North Dakota State. Yeah, up to the NFL level, which you know, and the, and the difference that Carson Wentz has gone through from last year to this year is, in, in terms of accuracy and downfield throwing and confidence, is pretty pretty amazing. Sure, sure. I mean, if I remember, we did a podcast back in July, maybe where we were ranking quarterbacks in the nfc east one through four and the things we were knocking Wentz was that you couldn't throw the ball more than accurate more than five yards downfield yeah and look what happened <laughs> i mean there were other things with that i mean he's pretty experienced in escaping the pocket and uh kind of moving around mm-hmm. um of course, the competition level from the NFL and North Dakota State is completely different. So when he was moving around, I think he was really – he knew what he was doing and he knew how to do it. But he was also kind of doing it at like say 10 times speed and that was throwing off his accuracy. So I don't think it was the same as him just being in the pocket and not being – like you know, the Alex Smith criticism, right? Uh, I don't think it was really like that with him. It was just sort of – you know, he was like a rookie and whatever, and he had a lot of question marks around him. So I don't. I think we were pretty justified in thinking that he may not right. develop that. Mm-hmm. Uh, nevertheless, well, he did, of, though. So a lot can happen in twelve months, that's for, or you know, in six months, or whatever. Oh, God, <laughs> let's hope. <laughs> Do you want to dive in real fast to the Super Bowl and make some quick predictions while we're uh, yeah while we're here? Be my guest. Um, my thoughts are I may not watch it. I kind of not sure not because I'm. Not because I'm pissed off, just because I don't really care. Uh, I, I've never felt so distant from an NFL season, especially while being invested <laughs> in a two times a week podcast about football. <laughs> but I, I really felt so, and and we've discussed this before. You know, the podcast is strictly just Giants, so we cover ourselves. But like, I'm usually so in tune in what's going on around the league. And how other teams are shaping up because I'm kind of ranking where the Giants are going to go in the wild card hunt and if they're going to win the division and who will play in the playoffs and who's getting hot right now and who's not. I was so out of that that I just like once the Giants were out, the season was over. It was like the most blessing thing I could have experienced. So I, you know, I Grump, uh, Grump, take that and multiply that by two because that's the kind of year I've had when you've had. A college football team that's not bowl eligible that fired its coach. And take that and throw on your pro team that had three wins, fired their coach. I mean, a lot of the things I'm talking about on today's show, I've turned around and said in my, my Gator podcast exactly about 
not winning the worrying about winning the press conference, not worrying about uh, you know who this hire is and who that hire is, and you know it's too early to tell for this and that and everything. I mean, it's carbon copy of suckness I've I've had to deal with. So I I, I get what you're saying. You know that lack of connection to you know the playoff season. So now it's just basically I've watched two and a half hours of The Godfather. I need to see the final scene just to see how the goddamn movie ended. <laughs> that's kind of how I feel right now. Yeah. I mean, the the two cities I hate the most and the two fan bases I hate the most are, are battling each other. And, you know, I had to deal with the same thing in college with Bama and Georgia. And it's a very equal comparison to me where Bama is, you know, in my conference, but, you know, they're so dominating. They're not my direct rival because they don't play in the same division. And, well, Georgia is, and they're my bitter rival. And the same thing here. You know, New England is – that's the dominant force in our league. We got to deal with them. But we don't play them every year where those pricks down I, you know, down I-95, you know, you deal with them all the time and they're your bitter rival. So it's just been a carbon copy season for me. So as bad as you feel, picture how bad I've been feeling. And I'm just looking forward to the shit XFL at this point. Oh, man. You know what's really funny about that comparison is that it's really – Spot on, you know, Georgia sucks forever and they have this year suddenly where they're like, how are they doing this? And yeah. it's kind of well, like just, the Eagles. <laughs> like, Well, they kind of underachieved the, the uh, Georgia for years. And I feel like, you know, the Eagles even forget last year, like even the Chip Kelly era, they underachieved based on the talent they had. That's what I mean. They, yeah. always, had, they always had tons of skill guys. They've always had a good defense and uh, you know, why are they seven and nine? Why are they eight and eight? You know, they should be better than they are. Yeah, so I guess my, my thoughts on it, um I I don't know. I, I never count out uh the Patriots' ability to adjust at halftime and and be able to win games. Ever. Uh so it's really hard for me to bet against them in any scenario. Um I think that the Nick Foles phenomenon last week may not be a one-off, but I don't know that that sort of like while the Patriots defense is shit, it's it's pretty bad. Um I I just feel like it's not really the strength of the Eagles either to be on offense with Nick Foles even cuz it's 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 just not the same and the Patriots are going to be able to move the ball a lot better than what the Vikings would be able to do. Yeah, I, I think you're going to see a big difference in, like, uh, field position, because you're right. You know, it's not going to be three and outs on the New England offense. Maybe it, maybe you might see a series of two early, but don't count on that for 60 minutes, for sure. Yeah, you know, the, the, the really, the way to get after New England is, is to get after Tom Brady, and that's it's sort of what Jacksonville was doing really well in the beginning of the game was getting after Brady. That's not really what the Eagles do so well. I mean, they're, they're one of those teams that sort of, they like the giants were supposed to be was, you know, stop that run, get a second and long, get a third and long, and then get after the quarterback where like the Jaguars are the speed heavy defense where they're just yeah, flying off the, this... it's, it's just not the same. And I don't know that it's the right way to stop the Patriots. I don't know if the matchup really favors the Eagles very well. Yeah, I, I felt I said it even you know last week or two weeks ago I thought that Jackson had the best shot to upset the page, the Patriots based on that matchup on defense. I mean, 
But having said that, I think this game is going to be a lot closer. I think the spread opened at six and a half and dropped to five and a half. I definitely think that Philly can cover this spread. And it would not shock me if they actually did beat them. So No, not at people, all. People thinking, well, it's still it's Nick Foles. And, it, you know, just because it's Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and it's the Patriots they're going to waltz, I don't see that at all. I, I think it's going to be pretty close. No, I don't think the Patriots can waltz on anything, especially this year. I mean, what they've been able to do without Julian Edelman, who's like a you know a major piece of that offense. Uh, and even, the, if Gronk, even if Gronk plays, he's not going to be 100%. He's still going to have his... His bell was rung pretty good, so... Yeah. I mean, I don't know about that. It, it's not the same as his... It, well, I mean, it remains to be seen, but he's got another whole week from the taping of this. But it's not the same as Super Bowl forty six against the Giants. 46? Is that right? Whatever. 2011 against the Giants, where he was just so injured with his ankle that he was yeah. just a straight-up decoy. I mean, he had, I think, one catch in that game. Yeah. Um, he couldn't really move. He couldn't maneuver. He couldn't jump. He couldn't do any of the things that make him him. You know, um, I would think that after two weeks, his concussion, if, if it's subsided enough for him to play by the protocol standards, then, you know, it's not one of those things like an ankle where you can tape him up and make a decoy out of him. You know, he's got to pass this protocol. So if he's able to play, then he's at, I would say... 95% 95% or so he's he's him at that point yeah I mean we don't know how much he's practicing or what time of hits he's taking out until he gets out of the protocol too no I'm, I'm not saying that I'm just saying if he plays he's out of the protocol like it's it's not oh that's true yeah that's true it's not the same as just an ankle injury where you can just put him on there as questionable and then he plays and it's just it is what it is mm-hmm. so I mean Personally, I think I think it's going to be a close game. I think it's probably going to be a four point difference. I think the Patriots probably take it. I wouldn't be surprised if that didn't happen. If the Eagles won the game, I don't know. I'm going to say New England twenty four twenty one. Okay, so you're you're uh, the same the same boat as yeah. me. Yeah. I think it's going to be a little bit more high scoring. I think a lot of scoring is going to happen in the first half of the game, mm-hmm. and then I probably nothing for like the entire third quarter. And then that fourth quarter, you're going to see the. Uh, the flip-flop between who has the lead. Right. Um, but I, I think it'll probably be up in the uh, the upper 20s, low 30s. You know, something like yeah. that. 34-30. Yeah, you put, me, put me on the books for that. Patriots 34, Eagles 30, whatever. You're in the books. All right. I'm 24-21, so we'll see how wrong we are next on next week's episode. Oh, totally wrong. This is going to be one of those 3 nothing Super Bowls. Of course. <laughs> um... That's kind of it for us. Um, before we do our sign-off thing, I just you know next week we're it, the Super Bowl will have happened. It will be officially the off season. Um, so we have regularly scheduled off season programming uh, that will come at you every Tuesday. So um, if there's any sort of Giants news, offensive coordinator, you know free agent signings, etc., that will all be covered. But we will have. Um, we're going to go over each position group, what the Giants need to address, et cetera, et cetera. Next week's episode is going to be a season review of the disaster. And finally, maybe we can wipe that turd clean and never have to talk <laughs> about it again. Just call us your Scott Tissue toilet paper. <laughs> um, be sure to follow us on iTunes and SoundCloud, Just Giants uh, podcast. You know, 
go to the store, search podcasts. It's free. SoundCloud, just search us there. Follow us there. Subscribe, and you will get our updates every week, whether you look for it or not. It'll just be on your homepage, which is really, really nice and convenient. It's um, very nice. So when you don't look at your podcast page for six months and you see you have 73 episodes from 45 shows you've been watching you'll have plenty of stuff to watch but hopefully you are listening to us each week and learning a thing or two about your new york football giants like i said if there's any big breaking news we'll do a special episode you know real quick 10 minutes whatever we talk about um and you can find those breaking news things on twitter at just giants pod or facebook for the just giants podcast um for any minor news that happens breaking you can be sure that I will tweet it or retweet it at football underscore grump. Um, and for all grumblings and all things being mad, uh, you can follow the cranky fan at the cranky fan. Yeah, I have a lot to be pissed off about. So <laughs> whether it's uh, the Giants, the Gators, the Knicks, the Lightning, the Rays, it's all a shit show. So follow along. You can follow my exploits as I get in fights with guys like Ryan Leaf. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah. Oh man. You know yeah. something? Let me let me give me thirty seconds here before we sign off about Ryan Lee. Wait, but before you say it, this one thing alone, if you don't already follow Cranky Finn, is worth following him on Twitter for. This was hysterical. Go ahead. So I, you know, I tend to comment on just drive-by tweets I see as it go through my timeline, and I noticed that a Tampa radio station was promoting an appearance by Ryan Leaf by saying former number two pick and ex-Buccaneer Ryan Leaf joins us at 10 o'clock. And I thought that was very odd because I responded by saying I would bet you 99% of Buck fans had no idea that Ryan Leaf was ever a Buck. Wasn't really trying to be too sarcastic or swarmy or making fun of anybody, just stating a fact. Ryan Leaf responds to me, your point is, like, I wasn't even talking about you, asshole, but since you brought it up, <laughs> you know, apparently he's got some backstory where now he's a recovering whatever he was. I don't know. I think alcoholic he was alcoholic. Or, yeah, I didn't know that either. Right. Which, okay, I appreciate that, and I'm glad he's got his life in order, but just because you are a recovering whatever you are does not exempt you from being a prick. And if he'd read the context of what I said, I had nothing to do with him. I could care less that he was a buck or anything. It wasn't even disparaging. But let this be a lesson out there for all you people. If you mess with the cranky fan, you're going to get the horns. <laughs> so if you want to follow that along, go back on my Twitter timeline and you can see how that went. It uh, resulted in me getting blocked by Ryan Leaf, which caused me to lose zero winks of sleep last night. If there's any washed up stars or reality stars or something you want me to blast, feel free to send me, a, you know, message me at the Cranky Fan and I'll be sure to get on their case. <laughs> All right, everybody. Let's go, Giants. Go, Giants. Let's go.